If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open me to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 12, and we will begin in verse 1 in just a moment. Luke chapter 12 and verse 1. And today, um, our subject that I want to talk to you a little bit about is being prepared for judgment. Be prepared for judgment. Now, I know that that is not a real fun topic. It's not something that you probably got up this morning and said, you know what? Boy, this I, I'm running short on sleep because daylight savings time. I'd really like to go to church and hear about judgment, the judgment of God. You probably didn't think any of those things today. But you know what? Uh, this is what Jesus taught. This is what Jesus preached. And so that's what we're going to cover. And really, when we think about Jesus, we don't often think of him in relation to preaching about judgment. We tend to think of him with his parables. And, and sometimes we may focus more on, on his uh, teaching aspect. And we don't think... I mean, usually when we think of a sermon on judgment, we think of like the stereotypical fire and brimstone preacher, you know, the one that, that shouts and slobbers and, and carries on. Uh, the, the Bible is very clear that Jesus, uh, he talked about judgment quite a bit and our need to be prepared for judgment. It, it was something that was often on his lips, but he didn't carry on like, like we typically think and associate uh, with, with some of the men behind the pulpit. But his message, even though he didn't carry on like maybe some of those do, his message was no less stern. And his message is this, life is short, death is certain, and therefore we need to be prepared for judgment. We need to be prepared to stand before God. So if you found Luke chapter 12, and if you're able to, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's word. Uh, we'll, we'll pick up in verse 1 and read down just to verse 7 today. It says, Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, he began saying to the disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. But accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the interior rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you of whom to fear. Fear the one who after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Thank you. You may be seated. So Jesus gives two warnings in our text. And first he warns them about hypocrisy. He warns them about hypocrisy. Now remember, this is, one of the th- this is one of the recurring themes of this section of Luke because he's just gotten through having a meal at a lawyer's house, or a Pharisee's house, and there were some lawyers and some Pharisees there. And remember, we, we spent, what, three weeks on that, uh, looking at his condemnations of them and their behaviors. And one of the things that he focused on was their hypocrisy, of pretending to be something they were not. And it's not just being inconsistent because sometimes we're all inconsistent. We all have ideals that we don't live up to. That's not what, what's in view. We're talking about somebody who intentionally deceives people, trying to make them think that they're something that they're really not. And so he condemns these people. But then in chapter 12, he keeps on, and he doesn't just tell the lawyers and the Pharisees. He doesn't just tell the disciples, but he also tells the crowds. This is something that's important for everybody to hear. Now, when you look at verse 1, you'll see that Luke says that there are thousands of people gathered around Jesus, so much so they're stepping on one another. Now, the word that, that Luke uses that describes the crowds is the word myriads. 
Now, a myriad meant 10,000, and it's in the plural. So at, if he's using it in a strict literal sense, then there would be no less than 20,000 people gathered around Jesus. But that word wasn't always used in a strict sense, just like if, if we're talking about a crowd, sometimes we might say, man, there were a ton of people there. Well, that doesn't mean there were literally 2,000 pounds worth of people there or, you know, eight Americans. I mean, we're, 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 we're talking about just a large number, right? And so that's the way that they use myriads sometimes. They would talk about, they'd use it to refer to, to many, many people, a, a number that was so large it was not easily counted. And that's the way that, that Luke is probably using this here. He's referring to thousands and thousands and thousands of people. People are, are crowding in, trying to hear Jesus, trying to see Jesus, trying to get close to Jesus, so much so they're stepping on one another. And then he takes that opportunity to warn them about the need to be ready to stand before God. It wasn't a, a, a seeker-friendly message. It wasn't a, 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 a prosperity message. It was a, a message for their souls. Now, now, I want you to look at what he says. He says, you would be wise, and this is my summation, you would be wise to make sure you're ready to stand before God. And that's the message for all of us. He tells them, first of all, verse, uh, uh, verse 1 right at the end, first of all, this is of utmost importance, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, what is leaven? Well, leaven is essentially yeast. And we're all familiar with yeast, especially if you bake bread or, or make pizza dough or something like that. It, it's, it, it, and many times in the Scripture, not always, but many times it's used as a picture of sin. Now, there are times when it's used uh, in a figurative sense otherwise, but usually it's, it's a picture of sin, and that's how it's used here. And he says, the leaven, the chief sin of the Pharisees, is hypocrisy of pretending to be one thing when you're secretly something else altogether. So what, what is it about hypocrisy that makes it like yeast? What is it about hypocrisy that makes it like yeast? Well, I think that the old uh, commentator Albert Barnes, he was a commentator from yesteryear, I think he hit the nail on the head when he observed that it's, it's like it in three ways. First, it may exist without immediately being detected. It may exist without being immediately detected. We make pizza dough fairly often in our house. We make homemade pizza. And, and so you, you have the flour, and if you've made stuff with yeast, you know what I'm talking about. You have, you have your bowl of flour, and you put your yeast in, and you mix it all up. And if somebody were to come along after you and look at it, who knows if the yeast has been put in there? It's not readily apparent and it's the same way with hypocrisy because, because somebody can be a hypocrite and you don't know it right away. And there may be somebody that you can think of even in your life, and maybe it's been you, when, when they ended up not being quite who you thought they were. They put on a show and, and for a long time you thought they were a certain way, but after, after some time you realized that they were fakes. And, and it's like that with hypocrisy. It's not always immediately apparent. Second, it's pervasive. Scripture says elsewhere, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. In other words, you can have just a little bit of yeast in there, and it's going to affect and, and spread to the entire lump of dough. And likewise, if hypocrisy takes hold in our lives, if we don't root that out, eventually it's going to spread to other parts of our lives. It's going to infect all of our life. And, and pretty soon we will become proud and, and puffed up. And it will infect our thoughts. It will infect our affections and our attitudes. And third, and this is related to that, it, it puffs up. 
yeast sometimes sometimes your bread doesn't rise your dough doesn't rise and it's all it's not it's, it's all flat but when that yeast activates and it's doing good man it's 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 fluffy and, and everything you know it just gets great big and and pride will or hypocrisy will do that in your heart won't it It'll puff you up. It'll make you think that you're something that you're not because you can lie to, to everybody else and you can fool them and sometimes you even lie to yourself so long you start to believe it. But you start to feel puffed up and, and proud and think that you're something special. That you're better than other folks. That is how hypocrisy is like leaven. And you can feel superior to people around you but one day, Jesus says, verse 2, your hypocrisy will be revealed. There's a day coming when the secrets, all secrets, are going to be revealed. When you stand before God, we'll find out those secret things are not secret. We'll answer for all the, all the uh, uh, lies that we told, all the errors that we put on, for all the faking we did. All the hidden things are going to be made known. Even those things that you said in confidence, those things you said to your spouse, those things you said to your best friend, those things that you made sure you turned off the phone and closed the windows and shut the door and made sure nobody was around because you didn't want somebody to hear what you were getting ready to say. All the gossip you've told, all that stuff's going to be made known. It's going to be shouted from the rooftops, so to speak. And one day, we will all stand before God. And if you were to take, I just want you to think back over all your conversations you've ever had. Even this week, maybe even today, be think about just this week or this month. Think about all the conversations you've had, all the text messages you've sent, all the time the the jokes that you've told or joined in on, all the stories that maybe the lies that you told at work, all the things you've said under your breath when you're boss when your parent when your spouse said something and you muttered something what was that oh nothing i didn't nothing nothing at all boss but think about that what if those were played over these speakers this morning for all of us to hear how do you feel about that what if every action you've done every thought that you've had every image that you've lingered on every bad attitude You've exhibited. What if all that was shown up on this screen for everybody in this church to see this morning? Not one of us here wouldn't be ashamed. All of us would be. We would hide our head in shame. We'd we'd want to crawl under a rock. We may even get up and walk out because we don't want everybody to know what's going on on the inside. And what if it was a split screen? What if it showed on one side the way that you act to everybody else and on the other side how you're really feeling on the inside? What if it showed the conversation you had with somebody on one side and then on the other side the conversation you had with that, about that person with somebody else? On those times whenever they matched there would be integrity there. It would be... There'd be It'd be the same, but what about those times when it wasn't? That'd be hypocrisy. And Jesus warns us against hypocrisy. And I want you to realize we would be petrified to have all that up on display up here. We we, we would be 
a guest to hear our words coming out of the speakers, the tone of our words, the text messages that we send, displayed up here for everybody to read. We would we 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 can't hardly stand that thought. Understand that God knows all that. He sees all that. He hears all that about all of us. He knows the lies. He knows the lust. He knows the foul language. He knows the murder in our hearts, the gossip. He knows the hypocrisy. He knows it all. There's no escaping his all-seeing gaze. Therefore, we need to be ready for judgment because you can fool folks in, in the church. You can fool your pastor. You can fool people sometimes even in your family. But you're not fooling God. And then he warns us not just about hypocrisy, he warns us about hell. He warns us about hell. Now if you look at verse 4, the the point of what he says in verse 4 is that we need to fear God and not fear man. And it's easy to fall into the fear of man because we, we care for some reason a lot about what people think about us. We care a lot about what people say about us. And part of the reason is because we can see him, but we can't see God. And so it's easy to put a premium, so to speak, on their opinions instead of on his opinions. But Jesus reminds us that, that this life is short, but eternity is awful long. Eternity is, is long, but this life is short. And, and yes, there may be wicked men who do wicked things to us, but their power is limited. One of the things that we did some, some weeks back, it's, well, it's been a few months now, we did a, a series on church history. And one of the things that we looked at many times is these martyrs, after they were dead, the people who killed them would, would desecrate their bodies in some way. So what they might do is they might, they might uh, murder them, and then they would burn their bodies, and then they'd grind them to ashes, and then they'd dump them somewhere. And they do all these terrible things to their bodies, but, but when you think about it, all those things are really symbolic. In act, their actions are symbolic simply because after that person has died, there's nothing else that the enemies can do to them. They're up in heaven. And Jesus says, yes, there may be, there may be bad people that do bad things to you, but they're not the ones you fear. The, ones you should, the one you should fear, he says, is God. He's the one who can kill and make alive. He's the one who can, he, he has the power, the authority, the right to cast people down into hell. Where they'll spend eternity separated from him in conscious torment. Now, one of the things in, that you might notice in the Bible, especially depending on the translation, is there are some there are a few different words that in some translations are rendered with our one English word hell. Now the word that's used in Luke chapter twelve is the word Gehenna. Gehenna. Now this is a this is a word picture that Jesus is using because outside Jerusalem there was a valley, the valley of Hinnom. Ben Hinnom, the, the sons of Hinnom. And so what happened in, in the Old Testament in the Valley of Hinnom, uh, there, was, there was idol worship. And they would worship Baal, and they would worship Molech, and this was a place where they would worship him, or worship them. And they would do, one of the, one of the chief things in that, um, that worship was child sacrifice. And they would, they would offer up their children in sacrifice to these false gods. It was a horrible practice. It involved fire, and, and so when you read about these people making their children pass through the fire... 
That's what it's talking about. They, would, they were murdering their children. And we, we think about that, and, and it turns the stomach. It causes us to recoil, and rightly so. But I tell you, there's something just as wicked going on in America today. The God's not called Molech and Baal today. Instead, the, the, the God's names today are, are choice and convenience and bodily autonomy. And people today would rightly condemn child sacrifice back then. But they turn a blind eye to it in their own communities. But eventually what happened is, is all these people, even some of the kings of Israel, would offer their children to these false gods. And Josiah, he was a righteous king. He came onto the, came onto the throne and he made all kinds of reforms. And one of the things he did is he would defile these, these, these altars, these high places that were set up. And so they were supposed to be a holy place. So one of the things he would do is he would burn human bones on them to defile it so they couldn't worship there. And he, would, he defiled this, this place of sacrifice in the valley of Hinnom. And eventually people began to use this valley as a city dump because it's right outside Jerusalem. And so they would take their trash, their rubbish, their, 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 their refuse of, of all kinds. They would take the bodies of dead animals. They would take the bodies of criminals and throw them out there. It was just a, a, a nasty, terrible place. And they had fires burning. And that, that fire would just burn constantly, day in and day out. And Isaiah 66, 24 actually refers to this place. In Isaiah 66, 24, it doesn't call it by name, but it refers to it. And it says... Then they will go forth and look on the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worm will not die and their fire will not be quenched. And they will be an abhorrence to all mankind. And so this, this, this valley of Hinnom became a, a picture, a type of hell, of the lake of fire, of eternal torment. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that hell is a real place of conscious torment. It's unimaginable, unbearable pain, suffering, mental, physical, and it will never end. It's everlasting. And that is the place that the unbelieving person will be cast. That is the punishment that that each of us deserves due to our sin. That's the place that each of us is headed apart from Christ, and rightfully so. But the good news of the gospel is that any and every person who calls on Jesus Christ for salvation will be saved. They will be delivered from that punishment. They will be saved from that, 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 that punishment. The Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, where, wherever it is. It may be somebody that's here today. It may be somebody that's that's watching this online. It may be somebody that's listening to this a year from now. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whenever it is, if you will call on Jesus Christ and repent of your sin, if you'll turn to Him in faith, you will be saved. Romans 10.13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. John six thirty seven. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will in no wise cast out. What I'm telling you is, if that is you, Jesus warns of hell. But there is salvation in Christ. 
So he gives us a word of warning. And then very quickly at the end, <coughs> excuse me, he gives, he, he counsels us to fear God, but he, he also gives us a, a kind message of hope. Look at verses 6 and 7 very quickly. He talks about sparrows. He says, Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. A sparrow was one of the cheapest, if not the cheapest, animals a, per- a person could buy for food. It was the food of the poor. In Matthew uh, chapter 10, verse 29 it records that you could buy two sparrows for one cent. And so here, if you buy multiples of them, you're getting a discount. I mean, they're cheap. They're, they're, as far as we're concerned, as far as humans are concerned, their lives are basically worthless. And, and Jesus said, he argues from lesser to greater, and he's saying, here are these animals that are essentially worthless, and not a single one of them is forgotten by God. And if that's the case for these worthless animals, how much more so you who bear the image of God? How much more so are you remembered by God? Because why? You are worth more than many sparrows. Therefore, do not fear. He says the very heads, the, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Now for some of us, I mean there are a few of us here together that, that between the three of us is only, only about 17 hairs. But this is an Old Testament way of saying that, that God is, is concerned about us. He'll take care of us. He's concerned about the smallest details, even the number of hairs that we have on our heads. And it might be that you're here today and you feel like God has forgotten you. Maybe you never admit that at church on Sunday morning. But deep down in your heart, that's the way you feel. Feel like he's abandoned you, like he doesn't know who you are. You feel like things are out of control. Well, they might be out of your control, but they're not out of his. He cares for his people. Therefore, Jesus says, do not fear. Anything that happens to his people has passed through his filtering hands. And maybe today you need to trust him anew. You need to rely on him for strength. You need to take comfort in his love and his care. Or maybe you need to heed that warning about hell. Now I plead week in and week out for people to repent and believe the gospel. And I'm doing it again today because Jesus is the only way. Just think, if, he, if God made a whole bunch of ways... Have you ever gotten to a crossroads and you sit there for a while? I don't know if I should go left or right. What, I'm just not sure. Think if there were if there were 50 ways to get to God, what would what would you do? You'd be you'd be paralyzed. Do I go this way or maybe I go that way? Or no, God has made a way, one way. There's no question. You go to Christ. And I plead with people week in and week out to trust Christ for salvation. And maybe that's what you need to do today. Or maybe you're like that warning at the beginning. You, need to, you, you struggle with hypocrisy. You struggle with faking and being, pretending you're, you're something that you're not. You need to remove that leaven from your life. Otherwise it will spread and it will grow.
why don't you stand with me um, as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Jesus gave two warnings, one about hypocrisy and one about hell, and both of them are timely for today. What is it that you need to deal with before God right now? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word which is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we thank you that even now as we, um, are, we consider our condition before you, that you will tell us that you will identify by your spirit areas we need to get right, things we need to confess to you, we need to repent of. God, we pray that you would forgive us of our hypocrisy when we've tried to pretend that we're something that we're not. And God, I pray that you would be with that person maybe that's, um, that doesn't know you in a, a saving way. They may know about you, but they don't know you as Lord. God, I pray that you would convict their hearts and draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.